Chapter 16 of The Brighton Boys in the Radio Service. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Clifton. The Brighton Boys in the Radio Service by James R. Driscoll. Chapter 16 A Tight Place. Major Jones was paying his compliments in a very brusque, business-like, but kindly way. Before him, standing at attention, Lieutenant Mackinson and Corporals Joe Harned, Jerry Macklin, and Slim Goodwin were awaiting important orders. The manner in which all of you have performed your duties in the past has won you the esteem and confidence of your commanding officers, Major Jones said. Your striking services not only have led to promotion, but to another important trust upon which much may depend. Through the mountains to the east of us, a company of engineers is cutting a rough road. They work under great handicaps and frequently are harassed by enemy detachments, but they are making progress. This road is being cut for the purpose of permitting the passage of a wireless tractor, of which you young men are to be in charge. Through a part of that section, an old telegraph still remains, but does not connect in a direction to meet our requirements. Reports received this morning indicate that by night the engineers will have put the road through to a selected point where you will have the least difficulty in concealing your tractor and its aerials. From your position there you will keep constant vigil, for you will be able to inform us long in advance of any effort of the Boches to come through that way. The road winds about the mountainside, and in some places is quite steep, but the ground is now hard and the motor will make the pole. Goodbye and good luck to you. An hour later, with Frank Hoskins, who was an experienced driver at the wheel, they started for their destination in one of the big, high-powered trucks, which not only carry a complete wireless equipment, but also provide enough space for sleeping quarters for half a dozen men. As a matter of fact, these trucks are so designed that, if necessary, they can carry a crew of ten men, while by means of a special clutch and gear the engine is made to drive an alternator for generating the necessary electrical energy which under the most adverse atmospheric conditions, will give a sending and receiving range of at least 100 miles. In ideal weather, the radius increases to as much as 250 miles. A powerful mechanism, which in its operation resembles the opening of a giant pair of shears, raises the mast and umbrella-shaped antenna, and the average time in getting the apparatus ready for service is only about eight minutes. The entire tractor, including crew, weighs close to five tons, and it can be easily imagined that its operation on a steep and treacherous mountain road was far from easy and anything but safe. With them the lads carried sufficient rations to last them five days, it being understood that their larder would be replenished at the necessary intervals. They also took with them a radio pack set, which is another wireless apparatus that can be carried about with little difficulty. This they had in the event of any unexpected emergency. The entire pack set could be carried about in a suitcase, and after it was set up, its current was generated by turning a crank by hand. Its range under ordinary atmospheric conditions was about 25 miles. The first few miles of their journey were accomplished with little difficulty, but as they struck the uneven, newly made road, their troubles began to increase. At times the jolts were so severe that it seemed they would shake the electrical apparatus loose from the tractor, while some of the inclines were so steep that attempting and failing to make them once, they had to go backward and try again with increased speed. It was bitterly cold, and while Frank and whoever at the time sat beside him on the front seat kept reasonably warm, being directly behind the hard-working motor, 
the others frequently got out to run along for a quarter or half mile to limber up their stiffened joints and get their blood in circulation again one of their greatest difficulties came more than three-fourths the distance to their destination and at one of the narrowest points along the road they met the large truck bearing back toward the camp the company of engineers the wireless tractor was chugging along under a heavy strain but the other truck was coming down the steep grade under the compression of its engine to accelerate the use of the brakes and with the little warning they had the two drivers brought their big machines to a stop less than ten feet apart it was impossible for the truck containing the engineers to back up and the first widening in the road over which the wireless men had come was fully a quarter mile behind there was no other course than for frank to reverse and with a man on either side of the tractor in the rear directing every slight turn of the wheel to go back to that point once the engine stalled making the stability of the whole weight of the heavy tractor depend upon the brakes frank grabbed the emergency and jammed it on with all his strength but not before the machine had gained a momentum which made it a question for a few thrilling seconds whether or not the brakes would grip and hold it as they finally rounded the turn which gave them the brief space of wider road and the engineer's truck passed by the men waving at each other a cheery farewell the boys from brighton gave a sigh of relief when they reached what they had decided would be their destination almost at the end of the road and in a dense bit of wooded section which would obscure them from the enemy observers they brought their tractor to a stop with a pick and a shovel they began building an earthen oven in which they might cook their food and from which they might keep reasonably comfortable without being seen a light snow began to fall and mess over the lads decided to retire for the night before doing so however they set up the mast and aerials and made the connection to the storage battery it was agreed that they should set up in two-hour shifts to be ready to receive any message that possibly might come but it was arranged that the other four should divide this duty allowing frank who had driven the truck over the entire trip a full night's sleep so the night passed with the lads taking up turns at the lonely vigil the snow continued the wind increased almost to a gale and the temperature dropped still lower fully eight inches of snow lay upon the ground when gray daylight came and slim the last men on the watch awakened the others the storm was diminishing but still they could see only a few yards distant from the tractor guess i'll warm up chopping some wood said joe as he took an axe and left the others still dressing in a half hour he had brought in enough to cook the breakfast and the last half of the day and while slim acted as cook jerry started out to fell more saplings before noon the clouds broke the sun came out, and its reflection from the pure white glistening snow was almost blinding. A snowball fight, suggested Jerry, and the others took up the idea as a boon to dispel the monotony of their isolation. With the lieutenant umpiring from the little wireless room of the tractor, Joe and Frank stood, Jerry and Slim, and from a distance one hundred feet apart the battle began. One of Frank's well-aimed missiles caught Slim squarely in the mouth, just as he was calling out some challenging remarks and from one window of his post lieutenant mackinson laughingly shouted strike one slim spitting and blowing out the icy pastry gathered all his strength to hurl a ball back at frank but he wound up as the baseball pitchers call that curving swing in the arm just before the ball was thrown with such vigor that he lost his balance his feet went up into the air and he came down kerplunk but the snowball left his hand with what proved to be unerring aim joe letting out a howl of laughter at slim's accident caught the tightly packed wad of snow right in the ear he turned back to the enemy and leaning forward began pounding on the other side of his head to dislodge the snow of a sudden he straightened up 
uttering an exclamation of surprise. Lieutenant, he shouted, look here. The lieutenant jumped out of the tractor, and the others followed him on the run to where Joe and Frank were gazing off down into the opposite valley. Two, perhaps three miles away, a winding, twisting line of black against the snow was pushing its way laboriously towards the mountain base. "'Germans!' exclaimed Lieutenant Mackinson. "'Wait until I get my field glasses, but do not stand here where they might see you with theirs.' From positions from within the clump of trees the lads watched the line spread out, and slowly but surely forge his way ahead. The lieutenant returned with his glasses. "'At least ten thousand of them,' he announced at last, after gazing down at them for fully a minute. "'And nobody knows how many more behind. We must notify camp at once.' He ran back to the tractor, followed by all but Jerry, who remained to observe the enemy's further movements. In two or three minutes the wireless operator at headquarters signaled back for them to go on with the message. About ten thousand enemy troops, proceeding through eight inches of snow, bound northwest around eastern base of the mountain. Lieutenant Mackinson's message ran. Am observing and will report progress. Any orders? In another five minutes the wireless clicked back. Are any of enemy flanking mountain on south? Jerry, who at that moment entered the tractor, informed them that the Germans had divided into two diverging lines, apparently for that very purpose. There was a considerable pause after this was flashed to headquarters. Meanwhile, Jerry had gone back to his post of observation, accompanied by Frank and Slim. "'How many guns?' was the next query from the commanding officer of the American forces in the sector. Joe rushed out to where the other three were standing and from them returned with the information that already they had counted seventy-five headed towards the north, and five being hauled towards a place where they might round the southern base of the mountain. This news was sent through space to the American army, and the lads who were the silent witness to what the enemy had intended and fully expected should be a secret movement waited in silence for further developments. "'Can you get back over the same road with Tractor?' was the next message that came, and Lieutenant Mackinson called for more expert judgment of Frank Hoskins before answering. We can try it, said Frank, in a rather doubtful tone, but it's risky business. It will be much as we can do to follow the road, and we can't hope to see the ruts and bumps. The worst part of it is, though, that the tractor is so heavy it may not hold the road. However, we can try. The lieutenant repeated the gist of this to headquarters, and the message came back. Better try. But by the time this decision was reached, the fire in the earthen oven had almost entirely died out, and the engine of the tractor which had been drawn up to it had become so cold that they had to build another fire to get hot water to put into the radiator before they could get it started. And then the perilous journey began. With Frank at the wheel and running the engine only in low gear, as compression against gaining speed, the lieutenant and Joe trotted ahead, one to either side of the road, to indicate the course of the crude highway. Jerry and Slim, inside the big truck, were doing their best to hold things in place as they rocked and jolted over the deep ruts and gullies. It must have been this series of terrible jars that finally splashed grease and oil on the brake bands. Whatever the cause, it suddenly became apparent that at one of the steepest and sharpest turns in the whole route that the brakes were not holding. "'Look out!' Frank shouted to Joe and Lieutenant Head, as he realized the truck was getting beyond his control. "'Better jump!' he advised Jerry and Slim, standing just behind him. As Lieutenant Mackinson and Joe ran to either side of the road, the tractor slid by them at increasing speed. Slim and Jerry, following Frank's bidding, leapt from the rear and landed unharmed in a snowbank. "'Run her to the side of that mountain!' shouted Lieutenant Mackinson, and that was exactly what Frank was doing. 
it was the only possible way of saving the tractor from gathering more and more momentum and finally beyond all control leaving the road and hurtling down the steep slope with all of his strength frank swung the wheel so as to turn the right side of the car at an angle up the mountain wall that flanked the road in this position the machine was still traveling along with great force when it struck a thick abutting ledge of rock there was a sudden jolt a sharp crack and frank was hurled forward head first into the snow when they had brushed him off and made certain that he was uninjured except for an awful jarring up they began an examination of the machine the right front wheel had been crushed to splinters the axle was bent and the machine was wedged so far under the split edge of the granite as to be for the time at least totally useless better go back to where you were first lieutenant mackinson said i'll take the pack set with us and we can probably advise headquarters or predicament with that and also inform them of the progress of enemy movement wearily they turned about each man loaded down with the necessities that they had to take with them from the wrecked tractor it was nearing night when they reached the apex of the mountain again and their first desire was to see whether the germans had entirely passed around the mountain so far as they could see they had but the boches had done more than that their heavy guns were being sent around either side of the base of the mountain each quota being part of a good-sized army but they were sending another strong detachment up and over the mountain itself and the first section of it was less than a mile below spreading out in such a way that while part of it would come over the top other parts would go round either side and they would be fan-like in shape forming a virtual comb in search for any enemies who might be lurking there the pack set ordered the lieutenant in a very short time it was set up and jerry was grinding the crank to generate power while the officer flashed out the headquarters call in a moment a message began to come j x j x j x lieutenant mackinson nervously began tapping the key again but the only reply was the insistent call for j x which was the code call for themselves no use said the young officer at last we can catch them with their stronger range but we haven't radius enough to send to them those troops cannot reach here until dark said slim no lieutenant mackinson acknowledged but they are in such numbers that we cannot hope to keep our identity or presence hidden and they are getting around the mountain quicker than we can get down and beyond their line it looks as though we're hemmed in said frank hoskins in an even tone yes agreed jerry and in a tight place end of chapter sixteen